shit. I mean, damn. Damn. $700 million. $700 million. Stephen A. Smith Show coming your way right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show coming at you as I love to do at the very least three times a week over the digital airwaves of YouTube. This is a special edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show. I'm coming at you live from Las Vegas, Nevada, courtesy of the in-season NBA tournament championship game scheduled to take place tonight between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Indiana Pacers. I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, I'm just getting a little stalled Um, as a courtesy. You understand? Just reminded y'all, first of all, let me take a moment to give y'all so much gratitude and love for continuously supporting this show. The Stephen A. Smith Show, the podcast slash show, has now eclipsed 423,000 subscribers over the last eight months and counting. I wouldn't be here unless y'all wanted me here. So I appreciate the love. Thank you so much. Keep that love coming, by the way. And make sure you do what you can. Like and follow the Stephen A. Smith Show right here on YouTube. Just click the bell to get notified for all of our new content. And bam! You'll be a subscriber as well. While you're adding that, make sure to not forget to pick up my uh, New York Times bestselling uh, book and memoir, Straight Shooter, Memoir of Second Chances and First Takes. And also, by the way, go to straightshooterbook.com to get yourself a copy. Makes for the perfect Christmas gift, by the way. Let me tell you, I had an opportunity or I had an intention, rather, of talking about a a multitude of things today and starting in a different direction. But in case y'all didn't hear the news, Shohei Otani, the star pitcher, the star hitter, the superstar baseball player for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, is now a Los Angeles Dodger. That brother, my Asian brother, the Asian sensation, that brother just signed a 10-year deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers for $700 million. Only in America, baby. Only in America. $700 million. $700 million. That's what the hell he just did. And I always knew he wasn't leaving Los Angeles because all you ever heard was the weather. And if you've been to Southern California, you realize it's just a difference from most of the world in terms of perfect weather, okay? You understand? They got other things that's pretty close to perfect, too. But I digress. The point is, they got a whole bunch of stuff in Southern California. And the bottom line is, Shohei Otani ain't going anywhere. If you're the Los Angeles Angels, Los Angeles, uh, you know, Angels of Anaheim, you deserve what you get. You haven't been to the playoffs since 2014. You haven't had a winning record since 2014. You've had one playoff appearance since 2009. And in the sport of baseball, there's only two reasons that you get this kind of money, particularly if you're, even if you're Shohei Otani. Because you have to remember, he's not going to be pitching next year, okay? He's got some arm issues. He's not going to be pitching next year. And because he's not going to be pitching next year, he'll just be DHing. So why would somebody like that deserve it? Well, first of all, he was the American League MVP unanimously in 2021. He was the MVP overall this season. Last year, 
He batted 304, 44 home runs, 94 RBIs, career 274 batting average, 171 homers, 437 RBIs. His pitching stats, he was 10 and 5 last year with a 315 ERA, 167 strikeouts in 23 games. The brother's something special. Congratulations to Otani. Congratulations to the Dodgers. Like I was saying, there's only two reasons to get paid this kind of money. By the way, money nobody's been paid, really. That's when you can ball and win your box office. See, what we don't talk enough about is that there are stars and then there are superstars. And the superstars, Kawhi Leonard, for example, is a superstar basketball player. But he's not a superstar because he doesn't want to be. True superstars are guys who are marquee, who embrace being the marquee, and who sell, who market their product, market themselves, market the franchise they represent, market the league they play in. Those are superstars. That's not Kawhi Leonard. But it's LeBron James. And let me tell you something about LeBron James right now. Watching him play the other night, transitioning to the NBA, of course, watching him play the other night, There is something that needs to be said about LeBron James, and that is this. If somebody came right now and said, LeBron James, we want to give you a billion dollars, ain't a damn soul out there can complain about it. Because the brother is approaching 39 years of age. He's the oldest player in the league. He's in his 21st season. He's averaging better than 25 a game. He's running 90% of the league out of the gym. And he fully embraces being the marquee. That's what LeBron James does. That's who he is. And what he did the other night against the New Orleans Pelicans is something I want to get into. But before I get into all of that, I want to throw myself on a sword. I want to throw myself on a sword. Because I want to talk about myself for a second. Just myself for a second. I'm very tacky today. If you notice, this is the same sweater I had on a couple of days ago. Damn it. I've been busy, and I've been running around. So guess what? We all know that when it's time to show up on TV tonight, wait till you see how I'm dressed. We all know that religiously, I challenge anybody to show me a better dressed person covering sports than me. Damn right I'm bragging about it. Damn right I'm bragging about it. So when my family and my friends and my loved ones are looking at me, and I got my big security guard acting like he's Zoolander, all of a sudden critiquing models and all of this other stuff, you understand what I'm saying? Him or Will Farrell. You understand from the movie Zoolander looking at my wardrobe and critiquing me. Yeah, I'm wearing the same damn sweater I was wearing the other day. Get over it. You can do that when you dress the way that I dress normal. This is an aberration. I didn't feel like putting on anything different. So this is a different show. It's not the same show. I sent my assistant out. I thought I was getting caught up and everybody critiquing my wardrobe. And I said, go out and look for a hoodie for me. That's all I asked. I asked for some hoodie you could get from Dick Sporting Goods. Okay, or, 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 damn it, you, you can find some of them in a deli for crying out loud, all right? Oh, no, this girl goes into some shop and brings me a jacket and it's priced at $16,000. You see, this is the kind of stuff, I don't know what the hell wrong, I don't know what's wrong with us, but that's what she did. She brought in a jacket that was $16,000. So needless to say, I ain't wearing that. I'm going to stick with this damn cheap $20 hoodie or whatever. It's not really that cheap, but, but I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just exaggerating, but, you know, it's just a hoodie. So all I wanted was a hoodie. So I went, could have went to the Nike store, could have went somewhere else. Oh, no. She comes with some shit. I don't know where it was from, but I know it's 
$16,000. Now, if I was Shohei Otani signing for $700 million, I would have bought it. But I ain't that dude. I digress. Back to the subject at hand, which is the in-season tournament. Here in Las Vegas, Nevada, let me say a couple of things. Number one, the in-season tournament has been a success. Let's get that out the way. It's been a success. It's important to note that. There was some trepidation, some apprehension about it coming into the season. First of all, why should players be incentivized to play? They're already getting paid millions of dollars to do the job. Why should you, why should they be incentivized to play? They should want, they should have some degree of pride, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? That gets thrown out the window. We saw Golden State against Sacramento a couple weeks ago. We saw Indiana beat Boston. We saw Indiana in the in the in in-season tournament semifinals beat the Milwaukee Bucks, led by Giannis and Dame Lillard. We see this kid Tyrese Halliburton showing up and showing out and showing you he has every intentions of being a superstar. By the way, he signed a max deal in the offseason. That's going to pay him about $260 million. And that's, that, that contract doesn't kick in until next season. And a brother playing like he's starving now. He put them, he's putting the basketball world on notice. I'm not playing. I'm that dude. He's 6'5". He's a point guard. He's averaging over 26. He's leading the league in assists. He's He's the orchestrator of the number one offense in the National Basketball Association. I've known Rick Carlisle for damn near 25 years. He coached the Dallas Mavericks to a championship with the likes of Dirk Nowitzki and Jason Kidd and those boys. I ain't never seen him have an offense like this. This is about Tyrese Halliburton. You got Miles Turner and Buddy Heald and all of these brothers looking all world. Matherin and, and, and the list goes on and on. These brothers can ball. They got a top bench, one of the top two benches in the NBA. They can score on anybody. Now, they can't stop a cold now. No defense, at least in the interior. They'll defend the three-point line, but in the interior, they don't really care. They remind me of Mike D'Antoni. Let him score. Let him score. It speeds up the pace. When he was coaching Phoenix years ago. That's what it reminds me of a little bit. But in the end, Give props where props is due. Recognize the fact that the Indiana Pacers are something to be reckoned with and respect what they bring to the table. Because they can win this thing. They can beat the Lakers. Would make no mistake about it if the Lakers don't bring their game. Here's the problem. The Lakers have been bringing their game in the in-season tournament where they're undefeated. They're shooting nearly 45% from three-point range. And they're led by the greatest player in the world today. Or one of, rather. I'm not going to put LeBron over Nikola Jokic because he's the reigning defending NBA champion who just swept the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. We know what he brings to the table. But they ain't in the in-season tournament. It's the Lakers because LeBron is determined to be a first. The level of pride that this brother shows, the commitment to excellence, on one hand, it is so admirable. It is so special. I can't say enough about the brother. On another hand, it is embarrassing to others who don't measure up to snuff. If you are, think about this, ladies and gentlemen. If you are Anthony Davis, all you got to do is bring your A game. You can win it all. Why can't the Los Angeles Lakers, the way LeBron James is playing, and the way he shows you he plays when the moments arrive. If you are LeBron, if you are Anthony Davis and LeBron James is your teammate and you bring your A game because when Anthony Davis's A game comes with him, he's a top seven player on the planet. 
If Anthony Davis brings his A game, he's already a leading league, a leading, a, a, a leading a, a, a person in the league in block shots and rebounds. But if he brings that offensive repertoire of his to the show and he shows up and Austin Reeves is hitting jump shots and D'Angelo Russell, remember, he has a pulse and he gets a paycheck too, okay? And Hui Hachimura, Rui Hachimura plays the way he's capable of playing along with the rest of the crew. You got Christian Wood, another big body to come out, a long body anyway, to come up and back up and make sure that Anthony Davis don't have to play the five position. I'm just looking at the Los Angeles Lakers right now. I'm saying they can win. They got a chance to get back to the conference finals, a very good chance. They got a chance to go to the NBA finals. And if LeBron James is in a best of seven series against somebody not named Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant, who can definitively say he would lose? I can't say that. I've got Boston as the favorites. But I got news for you. Lakers could win it. So I just wanted to mention that and to get that out the way to make sure that we're all on the same page. The end-season tournament is a success. I don't think the point differential factor should play a role next season and in the seasons to follow. I personally think it should be here in Vegas. Okay? I think All-Star Weekend should be here in Vegas every year. Not the in-season tournament. I think the in-season tournament should be a home and away game. I think the best team should have home court advantage. I think the losers should have uh, should be have to go on the road. I think they should go back and forth, that kind of thing. I don't think it needs to be at a neutral site personally, myself, other than the championship game itself. But I will tell you, being here in Vegas, this is where NBA All-Star Weekend belongs. And I'm going to say it because it ain't popular to say it, but damn it, I mean it because I love Adam Silver. I love the NBA. I'm proud to be somebody that reports on the NBA. But I got to say it because it needs to be said. And somebody got to say it, so I'm going to say it because we don't bring it up enough. The last three Super Bowls, counting this coming season, will have been SoFi Stadium in L.A., Arizona, and Vegas. Those are the top three Super Bowls. Once February rolls around for the NBA, the NBA has been Cleveland, Utah, and now Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, yeah come on, y'all. Yeah, yeah, Adam Silver, NBA Board of Governors, come on, y'all. Come, 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 come on, y'all. Look, All-Star Week is supposed to be a party. Let's just call it, it's supposed to be a big party. It's supposed to be a big celebration. Stars descend. Stars descending upon Utah. Stars descending upon Cleveland. Stars de descending upon Indy. Really? Really? You come out here in Vegas, this is what it's all about. You got enough hotel space everywhere. There's parties going on everywhere. You don't have to get cut in every traffic jam. People can walk to half the places they walk into out here. NBA, that's my only beat. We got to have better cities and, and stop trying to feed these owners who want to use it to build their local economies. Figure out another way. Figure out another way. We can't have NBA All-Star Weekend in these cities. We need them in places like Vegas, L.A. Yes, Miami. But I understand that's difficult. And since you can't give advantages, you know, you want to appease one owner after another. You do one for one. You got to do it for everybody. All right, bump that. Have a neutral site. There's no NBA team here yet. So let Vegas be that neutral site. Before I move on from the NBA, there's two topics that I want to touch on. One is Zion Williamson. 
Zion Williamson. He looks fat. He looks fat. My brother, you've been in the news for some other stuff. Your proclivities and who you want to mess with and all that other stuff is your damn business. We ain't got to get into all of that, but this is necessary. Zion Williamson went to the free throw line the other day en route while LeBron James had dropped 30 in three quarters and had completely dominated and looked in peak physical condition and looked like an absolute stud and superstar and marquee. Zion Williamson, who's more than 15 years younger, but 40 pounds heavier, went to the free throw line. Ladies and gentlemen, I saw a belly. A belly. Like when he took a deep breath, his belly bounced. That kind of belly. I mean, damn. Damn. What's up, Zion? It better not you got your ass kicked, losing by 44 points in a, in a sem- playing semifinals. Did nothing to lead and galvanize your team. Did nothing to show the man-child that you are and to take over. But you look like you showed up to the game having just ate a buffet. Not something from the buffet. I said the buffet. Like you ate the damn table. It didn't surprise. I wasn't going to touch on this. Because I was embarrassed. For him. But the Sports Illustrated wrote about it. And the New Orleans Times Pecune local newspaper wrote about it. So it's public information. He's fat. In basketball parlance. Not fat. Because some of you out there. Y'all give authentic meaning to fat. You know who you are. He's not that kind of fat. But for a professional basketball player who's 6'6", who the franchise is relying upon, there's a reason that when LeBron James was running and leading fast breaks, Zion was just standing back. Standing back. They didn't even try to run back on defense. There's a reason for it. Because he was huffing and puffing. That's why. That's why. I mean, come on, bro. He looked like he ate the buffet. I saw him literally inhale, take a deep breath at the free throw line, and I saw a belly. Like like Austin Powers, fat bastard. Like, get in my belly. That's what I saw. From a distance. From a distance. Come on, man. Come on, man. You know, I'm in the, I wish that I had a scintilla, a speck of your talent. Okay? You're, you're a bad brother. You could play, man. You could be a dominant force in this game. You don't have the conditioning. This, 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 listen, ladies and gentlemen, I know they got a weight clause in this contract. They got to. He got to be violating that. So he's addicted to food. It's got to be. I'm speculating, but it's got to be. It's got to be that. When you walk around like that, 
we 20-plus games into the season and the brother got a belly. That means off-season, training camp, preseason, and a quarter into the regular season. You still got a belly. Gary Brecker, 10X Health. My, my man, you need to get in touch with this brother. You need to get in touch with this brother. We got to work on him. You know, Gary Brecker helped me. Got mad love for him. Okay, Gary Brecker helped me. Hey, he need to help you. He need to help you. I ain't getting paid to play basketball. You are. I'm getting paid to talk about it. But Zion Williamson, in basketball parlance, is fat. It's got to change. It's got to change. <sighs> Other NBA news. Dwight Howard wants to return to the NBA. He's 38. He took the social media on December 8th to hint at a potential return to the NBA, and he's trying for one more comeback. Last time we saw him was in 2022 as a member of the Los Angeles Lakers. Remember, he helped them win the title in the bubble in 2020. Um, I think he's one of the all-time greats. I think he was uh, shafted from not being on the top 75 all-time list. He's a three-time defensive player of the year. He's an eight-time NBA All-Star. Um, he played 18 seasons in the NBA, averaged 15 and 11, won a championship. I could argue he has a better resume than Anthony Davis. He wasn't half the offensive player that Anthony Davis is, and Anthony Davis is damn near as good as him defensively. So they, Anthony Davis is the superior player. The problem is I don't think he has superior credentials to Dwight Howard. And if he's in the top 75, Dwight Howard should be in the top 75. But I don't think that's the reason that Dwight Howard isn't in the league. When he had a trial with the Golden State Warriors and that couldn't work out, um, I don't think that was about basketball. In case y'all missed it, according to court documents obtained by Radar Online, um, and it was in the news in November last month, Howard was accused of sexually assaulting a man he had met on Instagram and he asked the court to dismiss the case in the lawsuit. I will tell you that Dwight Howard is, you know, um, he wants to come on this show and I'm going to bring him on uh, eventually um, sooner than later, actually, if he wants to. Uh, but I know he wants to come on because uh, there's a lot of lies he feels have been told about him and he wants to address it. Um, but in the same breath, court documents, uh, there was admittance on his part that, uh, he had entertained, I think that's the right word to say, he had entertained a raw, a raw, you know, sexual relations. That appears to be the case. And when asked about it publicly, he said, why is everybody in my business is none of anybody's business? I want to state for the record, Dwight Howard is absolutely right. It's none of anybody's business. That is true. Um, and whatever his sexual preference or orientation is, is his business. Um, but in the same breath, due to the fact that you're a public figure, people are not going to care that it's your business. They're going to try to make it their business in terms of what they want to talk about because they feel they got the right to talk about whatever they want to talk about. And the fact that your situation was in court documents that made it a matter of public record, which gives them the authorization to talk about it as often as they want to. And Dwight Howard is going to have to live with that reality. You can tell people to mind their business, just don't expect them to. And in the end, in my personal opinion, I have no knowledge of this. I've never been told anything about this because, damn it, I never asked. But I suspect 
that if he's not in somebody's locker room, that plays a role. And I'm stating that because I think if that is the case, it would be unfortunate and unfair. Now, we've had people like Jason Collins and others come out, and I believe John Amici, if I remember correctly, come out years ago and acknowledge uh, things about themselves. And so it wouldn't be the first if that ended up being the case with Dwight Howard. I don't know. But I will say that appears to be the only excuse because I think when I'm looking at 30 NBA teams, you can't tell me. I want to state this for the record, and these two have nothing to do with each other because I can assure you, I just, you know, the Marcus Cousins ain't got that problem. You know what I'm saying? So I can promise you that. But people like Dwight Howard, the Marcus Cousins, those two names come to my mind. There is no excuse for those two people to be out of the NBA as talent, as big men talent in the NBA. You can't tell me that 30 teams don't need one of those two guys. That is a lie. Boogie Cousins was averaging 28 a night before he tore his Achilles. Boogie Cousins can't run up and down the court the way that he used to for 30 minutes, 35 minutes a night. But I could put Boogie Cousins in for 20 minutes and he could give me a double-double per night. He could shoot. He got a post game. He's got a mid-range game. He's a big body. He can punish you. There is no excuse for Boogie Cousins not to be on an NBA roster. But in case you haven't seen the Adonis that is Dwight Howard with uh, the paucity or, or the lack thereof when it comes to shot blocking ability in the NBA, Dwight Howard is somebody, don't tell me he don't belong in the NBA. That is bullshit. Him and DeMarcus Cousins both need to be on an NBA roster. And if they're not on an NBA roster, especially in the case of Dwight Howard, which again has nothing to do separate and apart from DeMarcus Cousins, I think this stuff involving Dwight Howard and his legal issues, his legal challenge, I think that plays a role, which brings in a huge question when it comes specifically to Dwight Howard. Is that a reason? And if that is a reason, perhaps it would have been to his benefit if indeed he veers in a different direction and he decided that he wanted to come out and Again, I don't know what he is, heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual. I don't know. I don't care. But I know the LGBTQ community cares. And if indeed that was his situation, and if indeed he was to acknowledge that, I think he would have had tremendous support from that community. And there would have been pressure brought to bear as to why he's not in the league and why he had to go someplace like uh, Taiwan you know, to play basketball where he averaged 23 points and five assists in 20 games uh, for some team called the Leopards out there. Again, I don't know what his situation is. I don't know the specifics. I'm not asking until I see, speak to him directly. I don't know. I'm only going by the reports. But no matter what his situation is, I'm not judging him. That's his personal business. I know that he's talented enough as a big man to be in the NBA. And I don't think that can be refuted by anybody. I don't give a shit what anybody says. I've seen too many teams that got big men that can't play for him to be out of the league. And again, on a separate note, I hate mentioning big men and don't mention DeMarcus Cousins. Because to me, there's no excuse for him not to be in the league. They, 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 I don't think there's five big men in basketball better than him, let alone 30. 
but that's just me. Before I go to break, right here on the Stephen A. Smith Show, courtesy of YouTube, I want to switch gears real quickly to this fight coming up tonight, Devin Haney versus Regis Progre. Uh, Devin Haney's 30-0 with 15 KOs. I aired that interview with him uh, a couple of days ago. And, of course, he's fighting uh, Progre, which is a 29-1 with 24 knockouts. Um, here's how the fight has been broken down and evaluated. Devin Haney is the superior boxer. He's one of the great, great boxers in the world. Uh, but there are questions about his jaw. If you catch him, can you take him out? And Progre's whole mission is to take him out. He clearly wants to take him out. He doesn't want to outbox him. He wants to put him to sleep. So it's the boxer versus the puncher who's going to win. Usually the boxer wins so long as you don't get caught. The minute you get caught, it's a different animal. It's going to be real interesting to see what happens with Haney. Um, I wish him nothing but the best. It's a real interesting fight. We'll see what happens. But I will say this. You went from 135. Javante Davis is there. Shakur Stevenson is there. You know, Lomachenko, a potential rematch was there, et cetera, et cetera. When I, when we, when I interviewed him a few days ago, he said Shakur Stevenson was offered the deal and turned it down. I'll wait to hear from Shakur Stevenson to see his response to all of that. We'll see because he's one of the elite fighters in the world. When you're moving up to 140, you got a guy like Tiafimo Lopez, who I've always been a fan of. He's waiting at that division. Who knows whom else? Um, who knows if Javante Davis ultimately is not going to move up to that weight class. We'll find that out. But Devin Haney's got to win this fight tonight, I tell you that much. He can't get knocked out. Otherwise, it will drastically curtail his marketability. So let's see what happens with that. Good luck to him. The one and only Andre Ward, former light heavyweight champion of the world. He's up next with yours truly right here on the Stephen A. Smith Show, courtesy of YouTube. Welcome back to Stephen A. Smith Show. My guest today is a Hall of Fame boxer who won an Olympic gold medal and held multiple world championships in two weight classes before retiring with an undefeated record of 32-0 with 16 KOs, by the way. He's now an author, and his new memoir, Killing the Image, A Champion's Journey of Faith, Fighting and Forgiveness, is in stores right now. Please welcome my brother, my friend, the one and only son of God himself, Mr. Andre Ward. What's up, big time? How are you, man? How's everything? Stephen, I'm, I'm happy to be on with you, man. And uh, I'm looking at your beautiful studio, man. That, that looks like a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful place to do some business. And I'm happy to be talking about the book. Man, please, anything for you, man. Thank you. And you know you're always welcome in here. You know that. We go back too long of a waste. Talk to me about this book, Killing the Image. Why that title? Why this book? Well, killing the image is, you know, it, it's who I am is real, but it's not who I've always been. And pulling back the layers, you you know, you just wrote your book and you came out with it. And you talked in detail about the process and it was just time, you know, and I was talking to my pastor and he put it to me the best way I can. I said, man, I'm trying to talk to these young guys, man, and they don't understand what I've been through. He said, well, Dre, you got to tell them. And by doing that, you got to kill this image that you've never been through nothing and that you haven't struggled. And that's essentially what this is about. It's, it, about it's, it's pulling back the layers and giving people an in-depth look of, of how I got to where I got to and how I've been sustained at that high level for as long as I have. When you wrote this book, did you find yourself a bit reticent or dare I say regretful over the fact that you never talked nor told as much while you were fighting? No, nah, I mean, it's, it's a couple ways to look at that. You know, me personally, I'm an 80s baby, and I didn't have my mother's blessing to talk about that. You spoke right. about that. That's you, right. I'm not right until my mother passes. 
I can relate to that. My mother had a tough background and I just didn't have the liberty to go tell her story just to sell a fight or to try to get more followers on social media. My father had passed in 2002. That was a long process where I had to come to grips with, okay, I, I can tell my father's story, but I got to tell it the right way. So it's a lot of moving pieces. The one thing that I knew, Stephen A. Smith, is that my story would be told one day. It just had to be told the right way. The documentary just came out. The book, Killing the Image, is out right now. Mm-hmm. No, put and, it up. Put it back up. Put it back yeah, up yeah, so everybody can see it. There you go. Go ahead. There you go. You know how hard it is to write something like that. Not just the, the physical taxing uh, element of it, but but the emotional part of it. And we did that. I couldn't just give that to the media to let them run with it and do what they wanted to do. I'm struggling to decipher or dare I say imagine that you, Andre Ward, who always has been class personified, undefeated, world champion, one of the most skilled boxers we've ever seen in the history of the sport. It's one thing for Joe Public out there because you didn't have much to say and you were sort of a quiet assassin going about the business of doing your thing. The the public at large may be not hearing you or not listening to you. I cannot imagine a fighter not listening to Andre Ward. You're saying that when you spoke to them, some of these cats were looking at you and they were like, well, you know, what have you been through? Because as your pastor told you, you didn't tell them what you had been through, but they knew you were a champion. They knew you were elite at what you did. They knew that you were class personified along the way, et cetera. Why wasn't they listening? Why were they not listening to you in your estimation? I, 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 I believe it's what I said. You know, when I came on the scene in 2004, man, I was fresh out the streets and just giving my life to God and I was trying to figure it out. There was nothing in me that had this 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 media PR plan to try to 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 get the people to fall in love with me or to or to buy into my story by telling them everything. I was just trying to heal and get myself together. I looked up at a certain point, like I said, and I realized that man, I haven't told some of these guys what I've been through. I haven't broke this down to them. So they would listen and be respectful, especially about the boxing piece, but the life piece, the struggling with alcohol, the nightlife. You know, <clears throat> drugs getting tossed in their face, alcohol getting tossed in their face, dealing with the, the women and the different things that come their way. They just didn't believe that I had walked that path because when they the, all they've known is is Andre S.O.G. Ward. They didn't know young Dre. They didn't know Dre selling drugs. They didn't know Dre using drugs. They never saw that person. So I understand what I just couldn't fathom that that person existed. So when you showed it writing this book and obviously doing a documentary and talking about the kind of things you've talked about, what kind of reception have you received specifically from the boxing community? Uh, man, just the, just the world at large. I mean, I got people all over the world, including the boxing community. Just the biggest thing I can say is they can relate to it. And I think sometimes a person like me who had the credentials that I had and, you know, sometimes you know, people tell me I'm hard to read. And I say, well, you know, it's just kind of my upbringing and my nature. And I made a good living, you know, being that way. That can rub people sometimes because they can't read you. And then they say that you're not relatable. The biggest thing that has come from this is people say, man, I can relate to you in a different kind of way. I, too, struggle with drugs. Man, my mother wasn't there all the time. Man, you know what? I have family issues, too, in this area. So it's really just people finding something in this book. And that's what I love about it, Stephen A. This book is for a mother who stays at home and takes care of her kids every day or a professional athlete and every everybody in between. This book is not a boxing book. It's not a sports book. It's a human interest story. A human interest story coming from an elite fighter one of the elite fighters this game has ever seen. One would say, okay, that's a real compelling story, and obviously it is. 
As you reflect on now having written the book and doing the documentary and what have you, where are you in your life right now, mentally and emotionally, because of that cathartic experience of really just getting that stuff out of your system in terms of expressing it is what I'm saying. I think I'm as uh, probably aware of myself as I've ever been. The problem with professional sports is it's a distraction. It can be a good distraction, right? Like I've had to deal with anxiety over the years. And my faith in God and my process there, allowing him to heal me and, and for me to release my faith in him, that's been a huge fa uh, uh, just, you know, factor in, in, in how I've overcome and dealt with something like anxiety. But it's always going to come knocking. With boxing, I can go to a gym four or five days a week and just disappear from the rest of the world. And that's my outlet. Now I've retired. So now I'm internalizing a lot of those things that I was able to get out in that boxing gym and by going through this process, digging deeper in my faith and learning, having the time to learn about myself, I've learned better ways to deal with things like anxiety, worry, or, or just, just the, the, the issues of life, man. So I, I've become more aware of myself now that my life has slowed down a bit. It, I'm healthier that way. I'm a, I'm a better mentor, a better father, a better son. And uh, I'm just going to continue on my journey. When I wrote my book, Straight Shooter, it took me about five months. It would have taken considerably sooner, you and I talked about this, it would have taken me considerably sooner if I didn't pause for weeks. Because when I was writing about my mom and what she endured, when I was writing about my dad and what he put us through, it made me pause because as I'm writing, I'm realizing instinctually all of a sudden I remember things that I had buried for such a long, long time. And ultimately, I'm able to look at it and reflect on some of the moments that I've had in my life and say, this is what I was going through. This is why I might have been a bit acerbic. This is why I might have had an attitude. This is why I might have been a bit standoffish, et cetera, et cetera. That's what I was going through. What about you? When you were writing the book, Literally sitting down and putting pen to paper and making sure this was chronicled and documented. What did you discover? What moments did you discover where your experiences in the past affected you that you may not have even known until you were actually writing the book? And I, I realized how much I had been through and had overcome. I feel like I've lived two or three lives already and I'm 39 years old. Yeah. Uh, I didn't ask to be born into the family that I was born into. I love my family. You know, we got great things about our family, things that I'm proud of. And we got things that I'm not so proud of. Right. But seeing how my parents were thrust into the crack epidemic, my father addicted to heroin early on, didn't know what he was getting himself into. My mother started freebasing and then she got full, full blown addicted to, to, to crack cocaine and even was using for a short period of time when she had me in her. Mm. I realized Stephen A that boxing has been, uh, fighting has been a metaphor in my life and not just me everybody is fighting something everybody is going to have to fight and overcome something in life and sometimes we think fighting is just you know uh, a barbaric thing it's just for combat sports people or, or people who got that kind of mentality i don't care who you are at some point in time you have to stand your ground and face something you have to fight through it you're gonna have to push through it and you have to try to get to the other side and I just realized how much fighting and working I had to do in my life to get to where I was and to stay there for as long as I had. Do you find yourself looking at society today 
in light of what you just explained about having the, have the, having to have the intestinal fortitude, to, it ain't about getting knocked down. It's about getting the hell back up and continuing to march on and fight on. You know what? Because is that, you're not, you could be alive, but that don't mean you're living. You ever find yourself right now thinking about what you just said, that our society has come a bit, become a bit too soft, that we're not willing to fight the way we once knew we had to in order to survive, let alone prosper. Do you find yourself looking at today's climate and feeling that way? In some respects, you know, I, I think I think in some respects we're unwilling to fight. And then in other respects, you know, we're fighting for the wrong things and for the wrong purpose and the wrong causes. Um, so, you know, yeah, that, that, that's my thing. But I personally, you know, hope that this book will inspire some people and not just inspire Stephen A, but 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 hopefully be a roadmap for people to get up and go do something. It's a lot of hurting people in there. I'll give you an example. Even the forgiveness piece in my book, right? Like you said, what did this book, what did I discover about myself? I realized, man, how foolish I was at a certain point in time in my life. Some of the things I uttered out of my mouth, I don't care about boxing. No. I don't care about none of this. Man. I just want to live my life. And living my life was being on a corner and trying to do what I saw other people doing and sell drugs for a block that I didn't own, use drugs to numb anxiety and depression and all these different things. And, you know, getting through that period in my life, Stephen, it's a situation where I'm hoping somebody can grab that and, 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 and go take that, that, that blueprint and that roadmap and go walk this out in their own life. Killing the Image, a champion's journey of faith, fighting and forgiveness. The one and only Andre Ward, the former undisputed light heavyweight champion of the world and super middleweight champion of the world right here with yours truly. You know, Andre, as you reflect on your boxing career, 32-0, 16 KOs. Last time we saw you was in 2017. You beat Sergey Kovalev by TKO. Any regrets in regards to your career? Do you wish you had fought longer? Do you wish you had fought bigger fights? Is there a particular person you wish you had gotten in the ring with that you were never able to get into the ring with? Anything, anything regrettable along those lines? No, I don't believe there's no regret. Now, I am a competitor. Um, I got a lot of fights still in me. And that doesn't die or retire when you officially retire. So there, there's days when I think about the plan that I had in my mind was to go to cruiserweight, 200 and below, and win a title there, and then go to heavyweight and target Anthony Joshua. That was the plan. Mm. Um, but I, I did the right thing. And, I, and I'm going to just say this, Stephen, and I think this is, and I hope that people kind of get this by reading this book. I've always been different. I'm not better than nobody. It's not what I'm saying, but but my road, the road that God has me on, it's different. It's not going to look like Floyd's road. It's not going to look like Roy's road. It's going to be my road. And this the road. And it's a road that I haven't really seen anybody else travel. Boxing was a part of my life, Stephen A. It wasn't my whole life. I wasn't supposed to give my all, leave everything in the ring and, 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 you know, be this guy to the masses. And then when I come home in retirement, my family doesn't know who I am. My call is to preach the gospel, man. My call is to be a blessing to people. My call is to raise my family. My call is to make sure that financially I'm doing what I need to do um, so I can change the statistics that have been around athletes and fighters for as long as I can remember. This is what I'm truly called to do is what I'm doing right now in my life. So the boxing was a blessing, man. That's always going to be my baby. That's always going to have a place in my heart. But that was a small piece of what God has put me on this earth to do. How do you feel about the sport of boxing in today's day and age? I think boxing is in a 
uh, a great place. There's a lot of big matchups uh, being made. Um, the young crop of guys that's on the way up. Boxing is in a, is, is in good hands. Um, I don't like that Showtime is falling out of boxing. I don't like that HBO is out of boxing. We still have ESPN and we still have the zone. My big concern is, is these young guys that are coming up that are going to carry the mantle, is the sport going to be on the proper platform to give us that big boxing feel? I remember watching HBO and hearing the theme music that came on and That's how right. excited it as a young, like, will we still have that feel? The talent is there. The fighters are there. The matchups will be made. But is it going to have the right platform? That's my only concern. Well, to me, the reason why this the, the reason why those things have been compromised when we're talking about HBO, when we're talking about Showtime, I think if promoters in the sport of boxing had it hijacked the sport, I don't think those networks go away. I think those networks stay in play because they would have been in a position to f- compel folks to have those fights that we all wanted to see, and they wouldn't be at the mercy of promoters, and they still would have been around covering boxing. That's my personal interpretation of it. What's yours? I mean, it's high time for, for boxing to be reformed, but nobody wants to talk about it. I've been talking about this stuff with the sanctioning bodies, the belts that fighters fight for. Right. They have to pay a percentage of it. Um, the promoters are good for the sport, and there's some things that the promoters are doing that's not good for the sport. Managers are good for the sport if they're doing the right thing, and then there's some things that's not good for the sport. So I'm not saying get rid of everybody, but there needs to be some type of reform in the sport. Mm-hmm. But when I talk like this, people kind of roll their eyes because they want to keep things the same. Boxing is the only sport that can draw every other sport to them. Everybody, a, a foot, basketball right. player, football player, entertainer, uh, uh, a media person, they want to come to a big fight. Yes, sir. But we're the, we're, the, we're, the, we're the redheaded stepchild in the sports industry. Like, we'll go see y'all for a weekend, but we really don't want them to do with you outside of that because you have no structure and you have no order. It's high time for that. No question about it. And by the way, just as an aside, HBO may be gone. Showtime may be gone when it comes to sport of boxing. But the Stephen A. Smith show don't be here. We can always talk about some boxing on this damn show. You can bet the house on that. I ain't going away. No, there's no way I'm going away with that. Having said all of that, the big fight, you talked about that. We just saw one a few months ago that we thought was going to be a big one. Errol Spence Jr. versus Terrence Crawford. I couldn't believe the slaughter I witnessed. So much has been blamed on the fact that Errol Spence Jr. really shouldn't be fighting at 147. Maybe that's true. Maybe he was a bit weaker. I don't know. But Terrence Crawford looks so much stronger, so much more skilled. It really threw me for a loop. Make a fight. What happened in that fight, Dre, between Crawford and Errol Spence Jr.? I mean, I think you just saw the, the you know, the cream rise. And, you know, Errol is everything that, that people said that he was. I think that, you know, you have to factor in uh, the lifestyle that he's been living the last few years and the car accidents. Um, you know, that that's a devastating situation. And I think he was in another car accident that he yep. walked away from. And th- that's, that stuff affects you. Now, what, am I going to use that as an excuse or a reason for the way he looked? Absolutely not. Part of that was that, and then more of it was uh, Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford is a bad, bad man, and he's been a bad man he's for special. a long time. And this is the problem sometimes when people misread you. Well, Terrence hasn't fought nobody, and I'm looking and saying, man, I've been around this sport a long time, and I'm seeing tangibles, but I'm seeing intangibles. I'm seeing stuff in this dude, and I'm hearing stuff, you know, come out of his mouth when he speaks, and I'm and I'm seeing a tenacity. Like, he's the truth. And he's not the kind of guy that's going to shy away in a big moment. He's going to rise. So that's what you saw on display. You saw a fighter that can box. You saw a fighter that was poised. But then you saw that finishing ability when it was time to finish Errol Spence. I love both guys, man. I'm I'm an I'm a, I'm a elder statesman in the game. I love both guys. But somebody got to win and somebody got to lose. And right. when you 
when it's some wood chopping like that, we're going to chop the wood and see where the chips fall. And they fail Terrence Crawford. And I'm way. telling you this right now, Dre. I'm saying you know me. Listen, listen. I don't know boxing like you. You know what I'm saying? I always joke to it with everybody. One of the stupidest moments in my career was when I'm sitting there debating with you, the Charlo, and the Charlo <laughs> twins. And I would like this. Wait a minute. Champion, champion, champion me. Let me shut up and let me just listen right now when we talk about Canelo and Triple G. But I I say all of that to say I don't think Errol Spence should should get back in the ring with Terrence Crawford. That's just kryptonite for him. I think that's something he needs to stay away from. You feel that way? Yeah, I I wouldn't like to see it. I I don't, you know, from a competitive standpoint, I know Errol's going to want to get that back. But but he don't need to go back and do that again. Right. Canelo. Just fought Charlo, the smaller Charlo, Jamel Charlo. I was upset about that. Obviously, the bigger Charlo wasn't ready to go personal reasons and stuff like that. He was He's a natural super middleweight. He wasn't ready to roll at 168. But for me, for Charlo to move up two weight classes against a monster like Canelo, I mean, to me, he was lucky to survive and people were getting on him because he was on his bicycle. I'm like, damn, he hit the brother. And the minute he saw he couldn't hurt him. You understand? And knowing what Canelo could do to you, I, I thought it was a wise decision on his part to get on his bicycle or whatever and now stay the hell away from that weight class for the rest of your career do you find yourself agreeing with that assessment i respect that i mean people got a problem with the way male fought but they don't realize like how dangerous that was for male to, to jump two weight classes and then jump two weight classes against that guy that's right canelo Alvarez throws power in every punch that's what he does you could have got embarrassed that night you could have got knocked out you could have been a mean you could have you could have took a risk like that and that could have ruined your career right uh your it reputation did. So it wasn't just a money grab. I believe that that Mel went in there and wanted to win. But, you know, you get in there sometimes and you see that heat is a lot and you don't want to take that risk. So yeah. I understand what he's going through. For As far as Maul, man, I'm happy to see Maul back. He's been going through a rough two and a half years. Yep. And um, he's back in the ring, man. And I, and I appreciate that, brother, for pushing through his personal issues and problems right. and trying to fight his way back. So do I. I. Mean, him getting a win the other night, I know it was a guy that was a little bit smaller, but man, two and a half year layoff to look like that, man, I salute him. Mel versus Mel Charlo versus Terrence Crawford. That's a fight I want to see. Break that down for me. What would you see if we saw that fight? Yeah, I'll take that. I, I, I'll take that. I'm not I'm not going against Terrence Crawford with anybody. Neither like, am I. I don't care who it is. I don't care who it is. Um, but 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 Mel, Mel is strong. And he's he's always gonna be dangerous. He's a big, he's he a strong country boy. He's gonna be strong, and, and Terrence would have to, you know, be careful of that power. But you gotta have more than that power, man. You gotta have IQ. You gotta have tenacity. You gotta have a willingness to know when to jump in the fire and when to avoid the fire. All of those things you gotta figure that out under pressure, under the lights, in the biggest moment. And right now, ain't nobody beating Terrence Crawford. I'm I always on. wanted when I saw Canelo Alvarez at the middle at the light heavyweight division. I was mad because I said, damn, I wish Dre was still around for that fight. You find yourself wishing you were still around, still boxing, and had and having an opportunity to go at, at Canelo Alvarez? No, nah, I don't think he would have fought me. Why not? My name was never mentioned with Canelo Alvarez until he fought a common opponent. Mm. And he fought Canelo, he fought Sergey Kovalev. Kovalev was, you know, Kovalev was, was I want to say he was shot, but he was on his way out the door. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't the crusher at that point in time. And that's a strategic move, and that's what Canelo does. And people get mad when you say that. He's earned the right, and he's in a position with the fanfare that he has and having a country behind him to pick and choose who he wants to fight. That That's cool. You can do that. 
the only problem I have is when we start mentioning name, mentioning his name with the all-time great Mexican fighters or all-time great fighters all time, I have a problem with that because I'm looking at the resume. And a lot of times people point out the names, right? Like, yep. he beat this guy? No, no. When did he beat him? Oh, he was past his prime. Right. Oh, he was 38. Oh, he was 36. People don't know to look for those kind of things, so they see a name and and they uh they just they just say it's a name. But I respect Canelo for what he's done and I respect him for what he's doing. But I don't believe if I was still active at that time he fought Kovalev that he would have fought me because my name had never been mentioned in the same breath with Canelo Alvarez. And if I was active, I think it would have remained that way. Had you have you ever thought just the last couple of questions? Have you ever thought about coming out of retirement, particularly yeah. for a fight of that magnitude? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. I like again, I like I'm hardwired to compete. Mm-hmm. The problem with retirement and the the reason why guys go to other vices or maybe, you know, depression sets in and they start losing their identity is because they don't redirect that that drive. I've always been a man with a mission. That's like you doing all the shows you do, all the work you do, all of a sudden sitting on the couch. It ain't gonna be, it ain't gonna be good. Right. You gotta direct that to something else. So I've tried to do that over the last six years. Um uh, every now and again, my my mind starts that hardwire and gets activated. Man, if I could do this, I probably need just about this much time to get ready. Man, if I tell okay, man, if I do one tune-up, of course, absolutely. It's like it's like I've had to retire multiple times. Mm. It's not just one time. I've had to talk myself off the ledge multiple times, and uh, it's not easy. Well, you, retirement is the hardest things I've ever I've ever done. Well, you know life. what people listening to this is gonna think, right? If 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 somehow some way one of them brothers called you out and said they want to fight the Andre Ward, you undefeated, you undefeated champion, you retired years ago. It's been about six damn years since you've been going going on seven. They want a piece of Andre Ward. What's Andre Ward gonna say, bro? I mean, I'm just asking. I'm just asking Andre Ward. I mean, what what what's Andre Ward gonna say? I'm gonna say this. It's been six years. Ain't nobody called my name yet. Stephen, it's a reason for that. They don't want you. I'm just. I mean, they don't. I'm they don't want nobody. it. Nobody's called my name. So now, instead of fighting, I'm producing documentaries and I'm writing books. That's right. You know what I'm saying? I haven't had one person call my name Mm -hmm. in the last six years. Well, let me say this before I let you go. Boxing analysts never give that up because you did an exceptional job. I was honored to work with you the couple of times that I had the pleasure of working with you on ESPN, doing what you do. You understand? Since I miss you. I know how brilliant you are, you know, with, with, with this pugilistic sport. You are something special. Don't give that up, bro. Don't give that up. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. All right. Killing the Image, a champion's journey of faith, fighting, and forgiveness. It's in stores now. The one and only Andre Ward. Appreciate you, my brother. Love you, man. Good to see you. I'm in love. You too. Thank you. All right, bro. Welcome back to Stephen A. Smith's show right here, courtesy of YouTube, where I usually come at you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. At the very least, sometimes I'll throw a special edition at you when I'm on the road. I'm here in this studio. It's called Blue Wire Studios out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Immaculate Studios that... Show me tremendous hospitality. Very, very much appreciated uh, them showing me the hospitality. They always show me when I'm in Vegas. Thank you so much uh, for hosting me here. Really appreciate it. I was here for the uh, Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence Jr. fight. Uh, the, the day before that fight, I did the show from here. And, of course, I was here just a couple of days ago. I'm here again. Wearing the same sweat, uh, the uh, hoodie I was wearing the other day. But y'all will get the hell over it. You know, wait till you see what I'm wearing tonight when I'm on NBA Countdown on ABC. Check me out. Then ESPN2 first and then ABC, uh, by the way, uh, leading into the 
championship game for the end season tournament between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Indiana Pacers. Uh, as an aside, you know, I had a couple of people getting on me because I said that Zion Williamson was fat. I'd love to apologize, but I'm not. And the reason I'm not going to do that is because, as I said to them, if I ran into Zion Williamson in private over the summer and the offseason and stuff like that, I wouldn't say anything. But if you're going to come out on a basketball court with thousands in attendance and millions watching on television and all of us see a belly, that's on you. I'm not saying it to malign him. I'm saying it because I want him to get better. I want stars blessing our airwaves and blessing NBA arenas everywhere. Or even whatever respective sport you're doing. Oh, don't get, don't think for one second I'm not going to get into Ja Morant in the days to come because he's got about four games left and then he's eligible to come back. I'd love to interview Ja Morant. Okay? I'm not rooting against him. I don't want to revisit his problems. What I want to talk to Ja Morant about is there's a guy by the name of Therese Halliburton. There's Anthony Edwards. There's De'Aaron Fox. There's all of these brothers that have elevated their profile. Meanwhile, the Memphis Grizzlies are 6-15 and 15 at the time we're taping this show. And they're on the outside looking in at everybody else. Primarily, without question, because your ass is suspended for the first 25 games. What you going to do about it when you get back? See, that's the question that I want to hear about John Moran. You going to be ready? Because you better be ready. Because I don't, I, I don't even want to talk about the mistakes you made. That's water under the bridge. What I want to know is, other brothers have taken your shine. What you going to do about it when you step back on the basketball court? That's all I want to know about John Moran. And what I want to know about Zion Williamson is, how do you feel about the fact that a 39-year-old, more than 15 years younger than you, older than you, in his 21st season, got on the court and bust your living ass? and your team, and, and swept y'all out of Vegas by beating you by 44 damn points. How you feel about that? Where's your pride? Where's your dignity? I won't say that other people say it's in your stomach. I'm going to say, I'm just asking the question. Come on, bro. Show up, dog. Come on, man. Really, seriously. Let me move on beyond the world of sports to a, a subject that I think is worth addressing. Um, there was a video circulating um, about Tiffany Haddish. Tiffany Haddish, for those of you who don't know, um, is a phenomenal talent. She's an actress. She's a comedian. Um, she was nominated for two Critics' Choice Awards. She had a breakout leading role in the comedy film Girls Trip in 2018, which with her and Queen Latifah and Regina Hall and Jada Pinkett Smith. Absolutely fabulous job by all of them. It was a great movie. I loved that movie. Let me not forget my brother Lorenz Tate, who was in that movie as well. Smooth as shit. Uh, brother doing his thing. Actually, I wish that the power whole ensemble power book ghost you know power um you know raising canaan and all of that stuff with the 50 cent and and, and them do I, I wish that they dedicated the series to lorenz tate doing politics that would be absolutely sensational in today's day and age they should feature him personally 
but I digress. Tiffany Haddish was seen on video the other week. A few days ago, she was driving in a car, and I'm not going to lie to y'all, she didn't seem all there. Take a look at this. Don't ask me to do shit just to get, oh, she's a nice person to me, so nice and so sweet. That nice shit. That nice shit. I'm tired of being fucking nice to you raggedy motherfuckers. And y'all lazy. Lazy. I'm just tired of people playing with me. Now look, <clears throat> we ain't going to sit here and make fun of that. Um, She seems to be breaking down. I hope that's not the case. I certainly don't wish that on her. I'm a huge fan of hers. I apologized once upon a time because I met her and I didn't say much. I was courteous, but I wasn't talking to her because I was preoccupied with daddy duties because my daughter was in the vicinity and I was preoccupied with her. And, you know, I wasn't as receptive to conversation as I normally am. But I'm a huge fan of Tiffany Haddish. And to see something like that, it should give us cause to pause. You know, you can see she feels like she's somebody that's being taken advantage of, whether it be by Hollywood uh, or people working for her or people working with her. You could see that is something that's resonating and ravaging through her and really, really affecting her in a negative way. And it's one of those things where it's not about laughing. It's not about making fun. And it's not about looking at her and saying, bump her. Who gives a shit? You know what? She making this money. She's a star. What is there to complain about? You got to know people's life. and You got to put things in its proper context and perspective and have some compassion and have an elevated level of sensitivity. And so I had my researchers do some research and provide me with some information about her. And lo and behold, look at what I'm reading about. her. I'm going to read some of this stuff to y'all. They said Tiffany Haddish lived in three Forster homes. Three, after her mother lost custody of her and her siblings when Tiffany was 12. After two years, her grandmother was able to gain custody of her and her siblings. She lived out of a car in Cali before jump-starting her career in as recently as 2005. Okay? Obviously, since that time, she's enjoyed tremendous success, named one of the 100 most influential people in the world by Times Magazine in 2018. And Hollywood Reporter listed her among the 100 most powerful people in entertainment in 2018, 2019. I never, ever, ever get caught up in that. That list doesn't mean shit to me. Because when they use the word power, let's be real about it here. She don't have that power. She has influence. She can say things and you'll listen. She can provide perspectives that'll make you go, hmm. She can do that. But real power belongs to real decision makers. And if you ain't the decision maker, you don't have the power. And people who are inclined to give you that power are people who want to evade or avoid and be oblivious to those who truly, truly are in decision making positions. I don't get caught up in all of that. Because that's a way for people to offset the culpability and the responsibilities that are on their shoulders so they could throw it on your shoulders and say, you ain't doing this and you ain't doing that. And it's your fault when you ain't even the one making the damn decision. That's what kind of stuff she's going through. And the other thing that she's going through, without even knowing her business, one could easily surmise this just based by looking at her. 
She talked about working for working and people want you to work for free and wanting to take from you and all of this other stuff. It's frustrating because when you have a giving heart and a giving soul and you extend yourself to other people and it's not appreciated, it's instead a license for people to continuously come at you, asking you to settle for less when you give so much more of yourself. It can ultimately break you psychologically. Because you can get to a point where you say, damn, when is enough's enough? Especially when mama's not around. Especially when you've been raised in foster homes. Especially when you don't have the love and the support that you need and that you want so desperately because that's what it comes down to. See, we don't say that, but you can see it. Now, did Tiffany Haddish make some mistakes? Yeah. She comes across as a bit out there from time to time. Florence a little bit too much, always on per se, because the camera's rolling. And so as a result, I got to be Tiffany. I can't just mellow out. I can't just step back. I just can't say, all right, that was for the camera. But now that the camera's off, this is my life and this is how I want to live. Step back, fall back, leave me alone. So when she was dating Common, everybody knew. You know what I hate about that? We also knew about it when they broke up. See what happens when people get all in your business? When you allow it? I'm going to tell y'all something right now. You know one of the proudest things that I love about myself? You know one of the proudest things I love about myself, seriously? Of all the things that I can look at and I can have to be proud of because I've overcome a lot of things in my life and I've got some resolve and some intestinal fortitude and no matter how much stress Rakes my nerves from time to time. I adapt. I overcome. One of the greatest things that I think exists in me is my ability to tell somebody to kiss my ass. It's a beautiful feeling. I really think you all should try it. Like, like, like not, not care. Not, not care. Oh, my God, the paparazzis is out there. They're taking pictures of me. I don't have any makeup on. So what? You still look better than them. So what? You can sit up there and take a picture of what car I drive. Just don't take my license plate. Because then I'm going to be ready to go at your ass because I don't like that. That's my privacy. But the car I'm driving, that's, look, I ain't driving in the garage. I'm driving in the public. I expect it to be seen. It's cool. But we care about everything. And Hollywood is most guilty of that. But it ain't just because of themselves as human beings. It's because the studios want you to be that way. Watch what you say. Watch who you say it to. Watch how you carry yourself. Because it could affect viewers. It could affect customers. It could affect everything that we're trying to do. At some point in time, it's really got to be about telling people in your own special way to kiss your ass. It's very cathartic. I'm trying to tell y'all. It's a beautiful thing. Do you know that I was on a record years ago? And when Bill Clinton in the 90s got into his problems with Monica Lewinsky, I blame not now Chris people like Chris Rock, the comedian Chris Rock, my brother. He blamed Hillary because he said Hillary didn't do her job. Go look at him and stand up, and you know what he's talking about. Okay, 
that's not where I went. Where I went was to Bill Clinton. Because where they got him, the libertarians of the world and the conservatives who were out to get him, where they went was he lied on the oath. He took an oath. He, held, he raised his hand and said, so help me, God, I'm going to tell you the truth. And then he lied and he lied. And then the libertarians, I had one woman said, oh, my God, I'm just so poor. Literally cried in front of my face. She used to work for the Philadelphia Inquirer with me. She cried in the newsroom in front of my face. Not because he got a blowjob. She cried, cried in front of my face because he did it in the Oval Office. Oh, my God. It was the Oval Office. How dare him do something in the Oval Office? The Oval Office is sacrosanct. I mean, the Oval Office is a special, special thing. That's the Oval Office. My man Rich Paul is out there. I see him. Come and go let him in. Let Rich Paul in. You know how he is. Let the man in here, please. Okay? Rich Paul, noted super agent, representing LeBron James, Draymond, and all of that other stuff. You know how he is. Got a new book out, by the way. Y'all should go get it. The point is, I digress. Getting back to the issue at hand. She wasn't complaining about what he did. She was complaining about the fact it was in the Oval Office. Oh, like, my God, that's reserved for the bedroom. We've never done something like that anywhere else. Oh, never anywhere else. It can't possibly be anywhere else, especially the Oval Office. I mean, my God, John F. Kennedy was here. Lyndon B. Johnson was here. Ronald Reagan and George W. H. W. Bush and Bill. I mean, oh, my God, this is what the woman said and was crying in the newsroom of the Philadelphia Inquirer because he had the audacity. I said, let me get this straight. You don't have a problem with the fellatio that was taking place. It's that it was in the Oval Office. She said, yes, David, yes, and was wiping tears. That's the world we're living in. People done lost their damn minds. It has to stop. We got to get ourselves refocused. Tiffany Haddish. All the best to you. Get yourself together. Welcome to the real world, which you know better than most. You are reminded that no matter how gifted you are, no matter how special you are, the world truly outside of your true loved ones are about assets and liabilities. Can you be an asset to somebody else? If the answer is yes, they want to use you. If the answer is no, they consider you a liability and they have no use for you. They don't give a shit about you. Here's your solution. Don't give a shit about them. Care about those who care about you. If you want to prioritize anything, Tiffany, prioritize establishing. Prioritize establishing that they care. What's up, Rich? You good? You just saying hello? Rich, Rich Paul just said, come in so they know I'm not lying when I say it's you. You don't have to come on camera. I just want them to see you so they know. Come on over here. I just went to, this is Rich Paul. He was right here. I want them to know I'm not making it up when I was saying hello to you. That's all. Yes, yeah, so stop it. Stop it. Stop it. It ain't nothing compared to you. You got my Adele tickets, bro? I told you that's easy. All right. Do you have the tickets? Say yes. No, no, no. Come back on camera. Do you have the tickets? Do you have the tickets? Tickets are yours. The tickets are, no, 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 bend down, bend down so the camera sees you. Bend down so the camera can see you. 
That's right. Do I have the Adele tickets for Mad Dog Musso? <laughs> you have the tickets. They're done. Thank you so much. All good. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Could you do me a favor? I know that's a I know that's a nice bag that you're wearing right there, but it still looks like a Target bag. Could you could you I know that, but it still looked like a Target bag. Could you go back to your room? Uh-uh, okay. A holiday spirit? So you was so you was Christmas shopping? Wow. Well, they don't know who you shopping for. They don't know what's in the bag. See, you just told me that. I didn't ask. You just told that you weren't shopping for your daughter. Now, she probably guessed what you got her. That's right. All right. And you're not being cheap with her. That's very good. I'm proud of you, bro. I like the sweatsuit, too. I like that. I got to give me one of those. Yeah, right. Is it yours? Yeah, I'm not wearing something with your picture on it. I wore that, but I'm not wearing one with your picture on it. I'm good to go. It's Rich Paul, y'all. Right here with Stephen A. on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Yes, me on YouTube. Before I get on out of here, let me go through some of these text messages. Tiffany Haddish, do your thing, girl. Don't worry about these people. Just welcome. Listen, don't even let them sweat. Don't let them break you. You too great. You too gifted. And you got too much of a lengthy future ahead of you to let anybody break you. But find that mentor and find that cheerleader. It could be one person. It could be a multitude of people. People who keep you from staying down in that abyss we ultimately all fall down into. You bigger and better than most of them. You already made it, girl. Don't even worry about them. Don't even worry about them. Let me get on. Before I get on out of here, again, the number to call in, uh, even though I'm not taking phone calls right now, that's 888-SAS-5303. When I get back to my studios this week, y'all can call in because I take live callers when I'm in there, all right? But, um... Let me answer some of these questions that some of these people want me to ask before I get on out of here. At WJBankZ89 writes, what's the best NBA finals you've ever seen? For me personally, it was when Magic Johnson lost to the Boston Celtics. Magic Johnson and the Lakers lost to the Boston Celtics. I believe it was in 84 when uh, Magic Johnson made back-to-back turnovers against Dennis Johnson and those boys, and he ultimately lost in the NBA finals. It was a seven-game series. It was an absolutely phenomenal series. But Bird and McHale and Dennis Johnson and the crew were able to come out victorious uh, courtesy of a couple of turnovers from Magic Johnson, who was miserable because of that and was hell-bent on making sure that never happened to him again uh, because it was interesting and it made the next five years that that much more scintillating to watch. Uh, at Oberst, O-B-E-R-C, 2020, uh, 22 writes, NBA MVP track has Joel Embiid number one right now. Do you agree with that sentiment? Is Embiid the MVP so far? I'm going to say yes. He looks absolutely sensational. He's averaging over 33 a game. He's the reigning league MVP. He looks absolutely positively unstoppable, even though Jokic is that dude. In seven matchups, he's 5-2 and two against Jokic. He's averaging more points and rebounds, even though Jokic is averaging more assists and shooting better from the field than Embiid. But the bottom line is Embiid looks like a flat-out, straight-up superstar. I have to say that. But there are other candidates as well. Keep your eyes on Anthony Edwards. Keep your eyes on Halliburton for Indiana Pacers and the way he's playing as well. Just stay tuned with all of that. At YSL, and you know what? I'm not even reading this. This is just too much. It's too damn complicated, bro. Favorite gas station slash convenience store snack as a kid versus adult? Well, my favorite when I was a kid was Skittles. Now my favorite is the sweet and sour pack. The the, 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 the the watermelon flavor. Watermelon flavor. Now, I, I know that I've been talking about losing weight, and I have, and being in shape, and getting there, and the whole bit, but 
I, I, I still got a sweet tooth. You know what I'm saying? So that definitely is true. Here's another question. At Brady Atkins underscore, is Dak the MVP favorite if the Cowboys win on Sunday? Interesting question. Um, he will be one of the favorites, top two, but do you give him the edge over Brock Purdy who stomped him when they went against one another 42 to 10? I don't know if you can give him over Brock Purdy. I don't know if I can give it to anybody over Tyreek Hill of Miami with what he's doing on pace to uh, catch over 2,000 2, yards receiving. I know two has been getting him the ball, but who else is he getting the ball to? Jalen Waddle and those brothers, they ain't, they ain't Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is on another level. And I'm telling you right now, to me, he's a league MVP candidate. But him and Brock Purdy, but Dak Prescott is in the conversation. I'll go far enough to say that, to give you that, okay? But I ain't going any further than that, okay? Um, who's this guy right here? At Real Blake By, B-E-Y-E. Who's your favorite comedian of all time? My favorite comedian of all time in movies is Eddie Murphy. I mean, props to the great Richard Pryor. The late, the late great Richard Pryor, the late great Robin Harris, uh, you know, all of those guys, mad love for them the whole bit. I'm a huge Cat Williams fan, love him, love what he brings to the table. Kevin Hart's my brother, love him dearly, you know, all of those guys. But my favorite all-time comedian in film is Eddie Murphy. Beverly Hills Cop, 48 Hours, you know, uh, I mean, you know, talking about the clumps, you know, uh, don't get me started with Rasputia. You understand? And, 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 and I mean, with, 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 with the movies he's done, I mean, he's phenomenal. The Eddie Murphy's phenomenal. That's on, in film though, on television, it's Martin Lawrence. It's Martin. I mean, I can't get enough of Martin. I mean, I watched every season, every episode. M Martin Lawrence was hysterical, absolutely fantastic. I often imitate his lines. I always give him props and credit for it. So I would tell you it's him. That's where I would be with that, okay? Martin Lawrence in television, Eddie Murphy in film. At Wolves Show, yo, right. Stephen A., how do you approach a woman at a bar, Stephen A.? <clears throat> well, first of all, I don't approach. I, I don't have to. Number one. Number two, I don't need to. I, I'm, I'm, I'm spoken for. I'm good. I'm good. That's number two. Number three. Uh, here's the issue with the bar. See, when you roll up to a woman at the bar, right? <clears throat> understand that that puts you in a precarious position because you're automatically, and the ladies out there, I know y'all see me, how y'all do, how you do, how you do, how you do, and you with your men, so I want y'all to listen. My man, you don't need to be flexing. Just say hi. You don't need to be flexing. You don't do that. Okay, but let me tell y'all this, man, all right? Because I want the, the men out there with your ladies to listen, and ladies, just tell me if I'm wrong. See, when you roll up on a woman at a bar, okay, and put up, now don't take the camera off me, keep it on me now. When you roll up to a woman at the bar, and keep this shot right here, because I'm going to stay with this camera. If you roll up to a woman at a bar, there's already a strike against you. Because you see, at a bar, it implies you drinking, right? And if you roll up to her there, your intentions are. Because she might be a bit inebriated. You know, she might be a little tipsy or whatever. And as a result, you viewing it as an opportunity to take advantage. Now, if she's that kind of chick, well, then she doesn't take it that way. But sometimes when you meet a woman at a bar, it's a little dicey. 
So your approach matters. And if you're saying at a bar, clearly that's where you're going to meet them. You'd be surprised who you can meet at the supermarket. You'd be surprised who you can meet at the malls. That's something that you should take into consideration for future reference rather than a bar. But if you're going to roll up to her at a bar, I think you should watch Hitch and learn from Will Smith. Now, I know that ain't a popular name to bring up with these particular matters in light of how he has been viewed over the last year plus, and I get that, because clearly, uh, whether it's the nose wide open syndrome or something else, he's not himself. But that Will Smith that showed up in Hitch, that went up to Paula Patton and, and, and gave her the money and asked for drinks. And she was like, hey, I don't work here. What's, what he did? She was insulted. And he was like, I know. I was just trying to get you away from the rest of the fellas. And she saw how smooth that line was. I mean, ladies try to deny it. But they like a brother that's smooth. They like a brother that's got a little game. Am I right, ladies? A little game. You know, I see your man looking at you up and down like, damn it, you better say yes. You better say yes, because I'm supposed to have game. That's what he said to you, okay? And it's true. Now, some women will give you the impression that they like corny. But those are the women that want it safe. Those are the, those are the women like, I, I got relatives. I won't say their names. I won't say their names. But they like men who are not that attractive. They like men, I, I'm not saying any names. They're relatives of mine, so I'm not telling my business. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, telling, I'm not telling my family business. You understand? So this is relatives, this is relatives, okay? My point is, they like ugly dudes because he's safe. You ain't got to worry about him stepping out on you. You ain't got to worry about him going nowhere. He's a safe bet. You, you ain't got to worry about anything because he lucky to have you, and he knows it because he doesn't have the confidence that he could go out there and get somebody else. But most women like some dudes with some swag that know how to talk to you, that got, approach, that got an approach, knows how to have a conversation, even when they're looking at you and you know they may want you and they may have objectified you. You still want to be able to look at him and say, he knows how to converse and have a conversation. He knows how to make me think he's thinking about something other than you know, TNA. That's what you got to make sure of. So if you're going to roll up on the bar, make sure you're prepared to have a conversation. There's nothing wrong with looking at her and saying, oh, I think you're a very, very beautiful woman. Would you mind if I just sit here and had a conversation with you for a few minutes? There's nothing wrong with that. She may reject you, but if she's remotely interested, she won't. And then it'll be up to you based off of your conversation, whether or not, she gives you a few minutes or a few hours or a few months or a few years. Depends on what you bring to the table. Do you have potential? That's what she's looking at you as. If not, but she's still around you, it's because she's objectified you every bit as much as you've objectified her. I get on out of here, Stephen A. That's it for today's edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show right here, courtesy of YouTube. I got an in-season tournament championship game to cover tonight between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers can beat the Lakers. And for those of you in Vegas and outside of Vegas who's going to bet on that, because Tyrese Halliburton is that dude, I don't blame you one bit. 
But I'm not betting against LeBron James. Not the LeBron James that I saw the other night. And by the way, Zion Williamson, when I called you, when I said you looked fat, you did. But I'm not rooting against you. I want you to lose weight. I want you to get in shape. And I want you to treat us to your greatness the way you are capable of treating us to. But we ain't doing you any favors by sitting idly by and letting you grow into the Pillsbury Doughboy. We ain't doing that. We trying to be there for you, dog. We trying to be there for you. John Moran, hurry up and get your ass back here. The game needs you, my brother. You're too great to be at home. Be ready when you get back to wreak havoc. You're eligible to play again December 19th. We can't wait. LeBron James, thank you for your continued greatness. And thanks again for Rich Paul for stopping by and validating he owes me two tickets to the Adele concert for my man, Mad Dog Russo. I appreciate that. He's on the record. He's on the record. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, Stephen A., the same sweater I wore two days ago, unapologetically, I might add. I'm out. Peace and love, everybody. Later.